You're listening to the Kingdom Mosaic Podcast. Welcome to the Kingdom Mosaic Podcast, Episode 1. Thanks for tuning in. Before I introduce our guests for this episode, I wanted to give you, the listener, a little background as to what this podcast is and about and what you can expect from this and future episodes. The Kingdom Mosaic Podcast is a conversational podcast where we talk about the things of God, life, culture, and this journey that we all find ourselves on of faith. And each week, we're going to be joined by special guests who will contribute to those conversations. Um, This week, I chose to have our first guests be two guys that you will become very familiar with as co-hosts and future recurring guests on this podcast, and will be a very integral part of future episodes and the production of this uh, ministry. Pastor Cameron Lemons and Pastor Jamal Scarlett are co-pastors of St. Paul City Church in Lake Elsinore, California. Pastor Cameron is a Southern California native who is a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He is actively involved in the community of Lake Elsinore where he and his wife raised their three children. He enjoys poetry, hiking, and surfing. Uh, Pastor Jamal Scarlett, who is a San Diego native, an MDiv graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary. He lives in the Marietta Valley with his wife and two sons. And Pastor Jamal has a great musical talent and is also in the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. So as this podcast progresses, you'll see we've talked about a multiple topics and allowed you guys to get to know these two gentlemen on a deeper level and kind of what makes them tick and what drives them um, in ministry every day. So I hope you enjoy episode one with Pastor Cameron Lemons and Pastor Jamal Scarlett. I wanted to kind of format this before the cultural trend of cheesy scripted reality shows took over the airwaves. (laughs) There used to be a music channel known as VH1. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with <laughs> with what the remnants of that. I've heard rumors of this. You've heard rumors of this. On that channel, there used to be one of my favorite television shows, which was Behind the Music. Yeah, it was. Which show. was a, a show that gave you an inside look into bands and artists. Yeah. Um, so today we are going to take an opportunity to go behind the pulpit. Mm. As, as you'd say, to get a little insight into um, you guys um, on a personal, professional, and spiritual level um, that our listeners and myself will have the opportunity to dig into. So where I want to start the conversation today, I want to hear a little bit about what your calling to ministry was, mm. um, whether it be a specific moment that you can recall or a series of events in your life um, that led you to the point where you finally um, knew that God's direction for you was full-time ministry and pursuing um, a vocational full-time ministry. Um, So if Pastor Jamal, if you'd like to start and give me just kind of an insight into that of, of, of how God really reached out to you and called you to ministry. Yeah. Well, uh, I I guess I can start with, uh, I would say maybe 1999, 2000, uh, I was 19, 20 years old. I was a break dancer. <laughs> so I was a skateboarder. I was a college student. Um, I was doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, and I had an idea of, of, of church. I've, I've, I'd been to church before. Mm-hmm. I'd done the church thing, but I didn't have, I didn't have a, a relationship with God. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess God, um, had not gotten a hold of me yet, I'd say. Um, but it wasn't until 2000, uh, where I had a friend who was 18 years old 
He was driving down the street in the rain, lost control of his vehicle. Um, his car flipped, flipped over and he drowned in a ravine. Wow. Um, it was a very kind of pivotal moment for, for myself in that I was really kind of wondering, I had questions about my about identity, questions uh, about why I was feeling so depressed, why I was always down. I had lots of friends, I had these different things that were going on, uh, and yet these things were um, kept leaving me um, in a wanton mm -hmm. um, position, place. Um, I went to his, to his funeral, about 500 youth that were there. Uh, the pastor um, saw that there were youth, um, saw this as an opportunity to minister the gospel and to kind of give an evangelistic um, uh, message. And as he was speaking, God was speaking to my heart. Hmm. And uh, it was, it was just so, uh, it was so clear um, that God, God had been calling me to himself uh, into a relationship with him. And so uh, there, was a, there was an opportunity to walk the aisle, and um, as the pastor was, was speaking, it was as though like my, my feet were moving, my brain said go, but my feet just kind of, you know, I went. Right, right. <laughs> I went, and, and it was, um, it, it was uh, from, from that point on, my, my life wasn't mm -hmm. the same. Um, following uh, really close behind me was my wife or who is now my wife mm -hmm. um, um, and so we after that we were discipled and spent um, a significant uh, amount of time just um, just devouring scripture for the first couple of years mm -hmm. um, after about uh, in about 2002 I just kind of sensed like like there was something else that God was calling me to mm -hmm. I just didn't know exactly what that was uh, I was a sophomore in college and um um, and so I decided, I, I was praying about it and kind of was asking for counsel and um, over a period of, of, a, of a couple of years decided I was going to go to seminary. Um, I chose Fuller Seminary because they were asking hard questions. Mm -hmm. It was a place where I could, I could um, sure. uh, clarify the call, but at the same time ask some very difficult questions that I, I didn't hear, I didn't see being, being asked mm -hmm. in different places. Um, and uh, that was in 2005, 2008, October 11, 2008, as I was coming, um, coming back from a meeting, um, a, a ministry meeting, um, I'd still been wondering and questioning, what is it, God, that you, you actually, you, you're desiring me to do? I need some more clarification. And he met me that morning, October 11th. I can't name the time, but it was that day. Um, it was as, as though with audible voice, he said, I called you to preach. Hmm. And um, when I heard that, um, I, I fell down to my face in fear. Because um, uh, it, 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 was, it was such a... Um, demonstrative mm -hmm. um, um, voice, I guess. Um, and so uh, I wanted to make absolutely clear that it was the Lord. Okay? Sure, <laughs> so I said, sure. um, you know, I, I, I said under my breath, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I called you to preach. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my garage and I'm weeping, <laughs> and I walk upstairs, and my and I tell my wife, God called me to preach, and she looked at me and she said, "You better do what He says." <laughs> um, and uh, the, I suppose the rest is history. I I started um, I, um, started um, full time seminary in 2010, graduated in 2012, um, and um, but that was that was my my call to ministry. Um, so you, so you, in a sense, quite literally had a Saul to Paul moment, in a sense of your encounter with yeah. God's calling on your life. Yeah. Um, where obviously circumstances have led you to that point where sure. you were studying the Bible and and with what you went through with your friend mm -hmm. and your conversion experience, yeah. in a sense, uh, brought you to that point in your garage where where yeah. quite literally you were given. Um, you know, this similar experience to what 
um, Paul encountered yeah. with, with 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 God as far as kind of blatantly giving you your direction. I yeah. guess you'd say. I guess I mean it's kind of like you know I guess I must I must have a very hard head. <laughs> like you had to you had to do something. I mean it was just really, uh, but it was very um, it was a very clear um, um, clear call, mm. um, and so I. Um, I didn't question it. I don't question it. Um, hmm. But I, um, I do know. I mean, it was just. Um, it was a very. It was a definitive uh, moment in time where I, um, I, I knew what I was going to do sure. or where I was going. Um, hmm. So that was very helpful. That was very. That's great. So, in relation to um, what Pastor Jamal's story is, Pastor Cameron, what what in comparison or. Um, contrast was your calling to full-time ministry in what you've experienced through your life? Yeah, I, I definitely, um, God definitely didn't send me like a letter in the mail saying <laughs> I needed to, to preach the gospel or anything like that. I did come to faith a bit later in life and turned my life over to the Lord as a, when I was a teenager and started to read the Word. Um, significantly and when I went off to college in choosing a Christian college I knew that I wanted to be involved in ministry because Mm -hmm. I had a lot of evangelistic passion Mm -hmm. because I had grown up with so little information about Christ and the gospel right Mm -hmm. that when I when I finally received the Word of God uh, I was prepared to follow and to believe and I had a a heart for others who maybe grew up without that type of opportunity. And so even while I was at a, a Christian college, very quickly, I was at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. I was looking for opportunities to serve with youth and mm-hmm. on high school campuses and over at UC Santa Barbara. And I was always involved in evangelism or leading a youth group and these types of things. And whereas for Jamal, you know, God came and said, I've called you to do this thing. For me, it's a story of amazingly, in spite of all my failures and the shameful things I can tell you right now that I tried as a youth pastor or, uh, you know, the times where I set up the pulpit when there were like three kids, you know, in the youth group <laughs> and you know, preached at them with like sweat coming off my forehead. <laughs> Or I remember the time I was at a Japanese-American church and I was serving there as youth pastor. And I remember we were having a special mochi day where you make mochi, um, like rice. And I had like this enormous wooden pallet. And I'm trying to be like the Japanese youth pastor. And so I'm smashing this rice into mochi. And I just remember how closely I almost just smashed the Japanese pastor's hand. Yeah. Like, no idea what I was doing. And uh, so in spite of my best efforts, you know, to, to mess things up, uh, God continued to confirm the call on my life. And, and in spite of some habitual sin and, and addictive type behaviors that I picked up mm-hmm. along the way, um, walking away from the Lord, uh, God met me in power with His Holy Spirit and gave me grace to overcome different addictive behaviors as it relates to language and attitudes towards mm-hmm. other people and attitudes towards women and just all sorts of things that I picked up along the way. God, mm-hmm. God by His grace, gave me power mm-hmm. to be able to put those things in my past and to, and to have a character that would be able to go forward in the ministry and, sure. yeah. and, and to try to remain faithful. And so after college, I was serving at this Japanese-American church in Santa Barbara, and my wife now, Janelle, was with me as my girlfriend at the time, and we were serving in that church. And it was while we were at that church that I was sensing a call towards full-time ministry. I was also working in a halfway house for schizophrenics at the time. And again, this was a heart and a passion to reach out to folks who were far from God. And... Um, and I was having a hard time in the, the mental health field because I just didn't see people getting better. I didn't see sure. people, you know, really like having uh, development happening. And so that was that was hard for me. I knew I needed to be serving in a, a place where I could see people grow mm-hmm. and develop. And so our church, Bethany Congregational in Santa Barbara, confirmed the call in our lives and they with their blessing and finances and prayers send us off to seminary and for us that was 
confirmation enough mm. that God hadn't shut, sure. shut the doors on me. Mm. Sure. And that he was still me, giving me a green light to go forward. Mm. So both of you guys kind of mentioned it, and, and it was a direction I kind of wanted to go to for a minute. Um, when you're choosing your college or your university or seminary as you, whatever it may be, whatever path you go down, um, one of the things that in my life I've noticed, and I wanted to kind of see if you guys had similar experiences or, or what your experiences are with seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be people out there that are kind of um, weighing their options as far as what, whether they want to go to seminary, whether they don't want to go to seminary. Um, one of the things that I encountered in school was the fact that oftentimes I learned a lot more about ministry and a lot more about people outside of the college walls than I did on the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts on seminary as far as in today's world? Um, And also what things happened to you in during your educational time that really developed you into where your theology is today or where your, your, your ministry is today, Mm. I guess in a sense to be more specific, so I'm not kind of keeping it open there. Are there specific books or specific authors or specific instances or people in your life during your, your schooling that really helped guide you into how to read the Bible, um, how to interact with God and how to practically do ministry. Yeah, I connect with you when you're talking about choosing seminaries. Often for evangelical seminaries in America, ironically, you end up with these suburban hubs. Mm -hmm. The campus I went to in Gordon-Conwell is in Hamilton. Uh, If you're talking about Trinity Evangelical, it's like Deerfield. If you're talking Mm -hmm. about Wheaton, uh, so many of the big Christian schools we have in our nation are situated in relatively affluent and safe environments. Yes. Right. Um, I think Fuller being an, a noted exception. Mm-hmm. But for me, as I developed uh, God's heart through seminary and through his word, I think it, it necessarily takes you to this place where you start to develop a heart for for also the underprivileged and the vulnerable mm-hmm. and the marginalized. And, and so for me, um, as I went along that journey, I found a call that was moving me more and more into areas of diversity and population density. Even though my wife, our natural personalities would take us out to like the mountains of Montana <laughs> in a cabin, you know, like that with the stars, like for me, that's, that's home base right there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figure God's got me like on the list for cabins once I, I get into this <laughs> kingdom somewhere. Yeah. Because for me, just developing a heart for the city was a part of developing um, a call and a, a theological framework um, for how to do ministry. And I know he's kind of like the hot pastor right now, but for me at Gordon Conwell, I got exposed to Tim Keller from mm-hmm. New York City. Back in the early 2000s, he was a Gordon-Conwell grad. He came to our campus and led Mm -hmm. some seminars and stuff. And one of the things that I was exposed to through much of his writing is that he has this emphasis on God's heart for the city. And so he'll he'll look at the Christianity that we're living in, in America today, and often he'll relate it to... The period of exile for the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're no longer the people that are in power, that are calling all the shots in their society. In many ways, they used to have that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the culture has, has moved on and pushed them out, and now they're trying to work from the margins sure. of society. And I think more and more so, and especially for younger Christians today, we feel that. We're not in the positions of power. We're not the ones who are running the, the broadcasts and leading politics and running our cities. We're ones who are trying sure. to work from the outside in. Well, it's almost, I think, too, I mean, stemming beyond a, um, a young believer perspective, we can kind of see that in culture in general, I think. In, in recent years with the Occupy Wall Street movement, um, you know, this, the younger generation coming up into leadership almost is showing a 
uh, biblical leadership style in that leading by serving rather than leading by overpowering. Um, and, and I think that that's a very obvious thing in the way that that is coming up with the next generation of leaders, whether it be in the church or in politics or in, in, in any in big business, whatever it may be. Um, there seems to be a more um, call to be more social conscious, be more mm-hmm. um, be involved in the places that normally you wouldn't find yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in that position where um, places like Detroit or Cleveland or these cities who are that are destroyed by big business now are being rehabbed by those who are living there and saying mm-hmm. we're taking our city back in a mm-hmm. sense and being involved there which i think is a little bit too stems into what you guys are doing at mm. St. Paul City Church in yeah. in Elsinore. Yeah. And so along that line uh, it kind of sparked when you mentioned Tim Keller mm. also with Fuller yeah. um when you were there Pastor Jamal what were some of your experiences as far as what shaped you to to where you're at today in ministry and and kind of your theological beliefs because you're uh, alma mater mm-hmm. is um, known for producing some some famous pastors and mm-hmm. authors that are kind of in yeah. all different directions as far as all sorts of the, yeah. the spectrum. Which is um, yeah yeah I think I think it's uh, it, it's interesting yeah because you have I mean in one sense you have you have Rob Bell mm-hmm. but you also have John Piper right you also have Michael <laughs> Warren but right. then you also have Miroslav Volf you have a whole bunch mm-hmm. of different people that are um, that are coming out of that at school. Uh, for for me, you know, the reason why I, I picked Fuller was because um, one of the one of the main questions that I think um, uh, that I had um, uh, had to do with the issue of race, um, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of um, uh, part of our DNA at St. Paul City Church. We're, we're desiring to be uh, a diverse Christian community or mm-hmm. uh, a community of Christians, um, and. <clears throat> for myself, as I as I was looking at seminaries, it was it was either Calvin or Fuller, um, and Fuller, one it was close to my family, which was sure. very helpful. But um, I read a book called Divided by Faith mm-hmm. uh, by Michael Smith and uh, Chris Rice, I believe. Chris, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I forget the second author, but Michael Smith, um, and uh, the book just completely. Um, spoke to a lot mm-hmm. of the the angst and the, um, the 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 problems or the issues that I, I saw um, within the church. You know, Martin Luther King very famously said, "You know, the eleven o'clock hour is still the most segregated mm-hmm. hour of the, of, um, uh, of the week, and it still is." Sure. Um, and so, um, part of um, uh, the the blessing of being at Fuller is that uh, I was in uh, I was at a seminary where. I think there were some 90-something different denominations, or um, it was an interdenominational seminary that had lots of different tr- Christian mm-hmm. traditions um, and different kinds of people from different experiences, but actually, but held um, a standard of faith. And so it was, um, you know, I had in one class, I could have Presbyterians, mm-hmm. Baptists, Anglicans, um, um, Seventh-day Adventists, Greek Orthodox, um, and uh, and a Roman Catholic in my mm-hmm. in my one class and and to be able to hear some of the different stories or some of the different perspectives um, just allowed for a more um, generous orthodoxy mm-hmm. I would say um, and and at the same time uh, allowed me to embrace people that I wouldn't otherwise embrace sure um, so it was extremely helpful sure. let's let's talk about that for a minute because that's something I think that you guys are are on a cusp of at mm-hmm. St. Paul's and, and one of the reasons that drew me to the church was the fact that um, you're very open about the fact that you, you encourage diversity mm-hmm. and encourage um, an ecumenical uh, atmosphere sure. where, where, where those who uh, both come from the Anglican tradition mm-hmm. um, you know um, from the uh, Pentecostal tradition, um, no matter where you're at, you invite people to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of a, a theme, I guess, um, even from the names that you mentioned of those who go to Fuller mm-hmm. and 
kind of a cultural thing in Christianity within the past few years of trying to mend the boundaries of the ecumenical divides that have mm-hmm. segregated the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one thing that drew me to uh, St. Paul's was the fact that you were very open about that and very mm-hmm. um, intentional about uh, making that known to those people. Talk a little bit about uh, why you guys decided to be so public about that and um, how that relates to your affiliation mm. as well as um, um, where you see the church uh, mission. Mm. Yeah. For me, uh, going back, for instance, to Jamal's reference to Divided by Faith, I came across that book in seminary as well. And part of the tone you get when you read the book and you read the difference between white Christianity in America and black Christianity mm-hmm. in America is what starts to become real to you is the hypocrisy mm-hmm. that often Christians don't see, but often the the world around us sees, sure. mm-hmm. which yeah. says you have a message that is supposed to be able to break down barriers and is to reconcile you with God mm-hmm. and with others. And you don't even know each other right. mm-hmm. between, across socioeconomic lines or sure. across racial lines. Sure. Um, you're called to love people that are different than you, and yet you surround yourself who, with people who have the same politics as you mm-hmm. and right. who have the same income levels as you do in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Sure. If the gospel is really as powerful as we say it is, mm-hmm. then part of the impetus the motivation that's going to come from that gospel is a deep security that's going to allow us to reach across those barriers mm-hmm. of race and age and language and socioeconomic barriers better than other people are able to do because they don't have the resources that the gospel provides sure. yep. to be able to go across some of those lines. Is it is it something that at St. Paul's, um, or let's talk on a separate line on churches that you guys have been involved with in the past mm-hmm. or, or ministries that you've been involved with in the past um, was it something that drove you to make sure that St. Paul's was something different that you encountered firsthand or was it more mm-hmm. um, just creating a vision of something that you knew should be from the beginning because yeah. I, I think a lot of times yeah. what, what, what we've seen is that there can be a level of um Thinking as far as um, you know, I'm I'm Anglican or I'm Presbyterian or mm-hmm. I'm this or that, mm-hmm. where there can become an aggr- uh, almost an argument there um, that's even fiery, mm-hmm. just as fiery if, as political or mm-hmm. or um, socioeconomic or racial. You there can know, be pride there. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. It's it's almost yeah. like a nationalistic yes. um, approach to um, to it. So so what is it that um, Pastor Jamal, like the, yeah. that you've seen as far as um, how you guys handle that as far as when you have someone coming into the church that mm-hmm. may um, come from a certain background and, yeah. and a certain agenda, yeah. and how do you mesh that with also being affiliated with a, uh, yeah. a denomination? Yeah, I, th- I think I think the, the important thing, um, and I, th- I think there is lots of uh, glory within the different kinds of diversity within God's body. So as I said, Presbyterian, and your Baptists, your Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and I don't think unity collapses all of those things mm-hmm. on, on, its, uh, on itself. I think there, is, there are certain theological differences that I think we hold, but we hold them um, loosely, uh, so mm-hmm. to speak, We're, and not um, with closed grip as though those are kind of first order things. I think we have to say, the first order things is um, is a a knowledge and love and relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. and if we can start there, well then we can we can really um, we can really go far. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the that's the case. But it's it's very difficult to get there sometimes because I think you know in so many so many ways are the way that that we. Uh, politic uh, politics and socioeconomic different differences. Um, are the movers, um, and then religion just follows wherever that goes. Sure, um, I think I think we have to switch that around. All right, and it's difficult to do that, but it takes um, it takes um, some some reflection. It might take some some sharpening. Some sure, iron. Um, we need to 
live with each other and, and um, you know, be able to, um, to sharpen one another in some of those, those places where I think um, we're weak. So, so it almost comes from a perspective of we have to get back to um, looking through everything with the lens of the cross and looking through everything through the lens of Christ mm-hmm. uh, before, uh, instead of looking through our dogmatic yes. uh, views that yes. we're coming to presuppositions. Yeah. We often find ourselves referencing the familiar quotation of Augustine, Mm -hmm. which is, in essentials, unity, Mm -hmm. in non-essentials, liberty, and Mm -hmm. in all things, charity. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves coming back to that place a lot. And I love being an Anglican. I think Mm -hmm. for me, it helps me express my spirituality and it helps me grow in my relationship with the Lord. But I hold something more deeper than even being an Anglican, and that's being a follower of Christ. Sure. And that unites me with folks across different denominations. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, coming from a, a perspective of someone who uh, recently started attending St. Paul's, um, I come from an um, Anabaptist background and hold very um, deep Anabaptist roots in my upbringing, as well as uh, my theology stems from primarily an Anabaptist um, stream. And coming from um, that and coming into St. Paul's, obviously there's a big difference between mm-hmm. worshiping in an Anabaptist church yeah. and, a, and an Anglican church. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of similarities in, in some of the values that are held um, important. For those who may be coming into the church for the first time, and what they'd be encountering on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, for those who've never been to a liturgical service, um, speak to how you think the value of those things have in today's culture and, and why um, participating in those can enhance the worship experience that someone mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. encounter. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is bread and butter. Bread, bread, bread. No, 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 please, brother. I'm with all... One of the things that uh, we're finding in, in our culture today, and this relates in particular to folks who are young adults, but I think it goes across the board as well, is we have a culture that's based on, on fads and sound bites mm-hmm. and whatever the hot topic is in our particular culture. Hashtags. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and so we find ourselves as a culture um, moving from one thing to the next uh, whatever the news is showing us whatever's on television everyone's talking about the same thing watching the same show and one of the things that the liturgy invites us into is it invites us in to an alternative rhythm of life than what our culture's rhythm is right mm. now which is very haphazard and reactionary mm-hmm. and emotional the liturgy is going to invite us into something that's a slower rhythm it's going to invite us into a rhythm that is intended to establish patterns in our lives, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not just patterns of entertainment and not just patterns of uh, fascination with different Mm -hmm. things, but patterns of prayer, patterns of repentance, patterns of hearing God's word, of praising the Lord in season and out of season. Really, you're learning to dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not going to be for everybody because for a lot of folks, sure. they don't have the patience to learn that dance. All, mm. all we've been programmed to know is the run after the hot topic. Mm. And so it's going to be a stretch for a lot of folks. Mm. But for folks that are willing to slow down and to learn that pattern and that dance, I think what happens is you get equipped with tools in your tool belt mm-hmm. so that when you're in the culture and things are getting... Out, out of control and it seems like no one's driving this thing called American you know, life in the 21st <laughs> sure. century mm-hmm. you've got a tool about this that says hold on I know another way to function mm-hmm. and it includes these, these rhythms that um, this dance that the liturgy and some of the ancient faith has taught me mm. I have words mm. to know how to repent yeah. I have words to know how to receive God's forgiveness. I have words to know how to mm-hmm. receive Christ in me today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and for me, my spiritual life has been enriched by putting in the time to learn to learn that dance. Yeah. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. I think, I think um, uh, it, it takes, it's a, uh, the liturgy uh, is a growing into. Uh, you have to you have to spend time with it, as as, um, mm-hmm. as Father Cameron said. It, it's just this. Uh, 
you, you can't enter into it haphazardly. It's not um, something that's going to all of a sudden, I mean, you're just, you know, you, you, you've learned the two-step, and so, um, um, so it's going to come easy to you. It takes time. Mm. Um, and as Cameron said, it's just um, stepping back um, and spending time with a thing and investing in that mm. um, um, is investing in our relationship um, investing in our life of prayer, investing in our rhythms of life, our common life together as believers in Christ. It's, it's not for everyone, but, I, um, but it's, um, it's a very compelling um, counter-argument to, to our world that's, that's always going, hmm. that's constantly, um, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're so tired because we're, we're, you know, we're living our dreams and we're not, you know, we're not, it's, 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 it's crazy, but the, the liturgy just says, let's take a step back hmm. and reflect um, either on our relationship with God, where our hearts are, hearing God, um, and not necessarily hearing ourselves, um, gives, gives that space to do that. So they're all, they're, they're a few years ago, uh, probably more than a few years ago now, um, there was kind of a, a push and a movement within um, what what's known as the emergent church mm-hmm. um, to introduce all alternative worships into the service, mm-hmm. um, where they would implement churches were starting to implement um, some historical mm-hmm. and um, and more reverent worship opportunities for for the people of the church to participate in during the service. Do you guys see that as something that's um, that's a result of kind of the younger generation desiring mm-hmm. to um, to kind of go back to uh, a more historical church uh, worship atmosphere, or or was that more in your mind if you're familiar with it, mm-hmm. um, a cultural or or um, hipster trend in a sense? <laughs> Part of the way I interpret <laughs> that tendency is as a reaction to this symptom of feeling unrooted, mm-hmm. of feeling like we're always mm-hmm. being tossed to and fro by mm-hmm. the, the latest cultural waves. Sure. Um, you know, if, if the Olympics are going on, you know, now our churches, you know, have big rings, sure. you know, every, sure. every week, you mm-hmm. know, that we're walking in and we have flags with the Olympic rings. And, um, <laughs> there's a sense in which we know we need something deeper. Mm-hmm than what our culture is offering us. We need to maybe go further back to a time when we weren't all running after, you know, whatever the culture was telling us. Mm-hmm. And so so I see a lot of those movements as a reaction to these symptoms of I don't feel rooted, I don't feel connected to something long-lasting sure. mm-hmm. that's actually going to make it through these challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess one of the questions, the questions um, Cameron and I were having a conversation with our, our wives at, uh, couple days ago and um, thinking about the different generations um, you know your baby boomers your millennials your mm-hmm. X gen I gen all of these different alphabets um, <laughs> you, it, it was one of the um, one of the questions and I think it's the is it the millennials or the, the um, are asking is um, can I trust it hmm does it? I mean, does it work? I mean, um, sure. And um, you said something just uh, just right now about the the, the way that we um, there is a certain unrooted sense um, in our culture, and sadly enough, it's it's there is an unrooted sense in a lot of Christian subculture. Sure. Um, so so the reaction to um, to um, something that is rooted, I think, honestly, I I don't. I don't think it's a step in the wrong direction. I think it's good good that there's there's a yearning uh, that's desiring to be met. Mm. Um, but um, at the same time, uh, I wanna wanna make sure we try to maintain the integrity of, of a thing that sure um, um, that's beautiful that uh, that has a context, um, and how we introduce it into it another context uh, really takes a lot of. Um, patience and, and um, care. So, so it's really um, obviously one of the biggest challenges of ministry and, and specifically, uh, I think, church planning 
is having a diversity of um, ages mm-hmm. within your church. Yeah. Um, those who come from a um, from an old school view of, of what church should be, some mm-hmm. of those who are coming in as 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 this postmodern or emergent um, generation um, is one of the big challenges. There is kind of having something for everybody without becoming what I think you were referring to and probably were trying to be diplomatic in saying mm. cookie cutter churches where mm. we're providing prepackaged sermons, prepackaged worship packages that we're just giving fast food mm-hmm. um, theology and fast food um, church to people. So, I mean, one of the biggest challenges obviously is how to bridge that gap mm. of, of, of the vast um, diversity that, that exists in the, in the current church. Mm. Um, what I'd like to have you guys speak on in that sense is what what is the believer, the the average individual who's coming into your church doors, um, what is what is the responsibility of, of the individual as far as honing a theology and, and living out a theology? Is it something that you feel in is becoming um, are you more on the spectrum of it's very important for people to research and define their theology or are you more on the spectrum of um, on the opposite end of the spectrum where all that matters is Jesus and, and mm. that everything else um, is is kind of, um, you know, not as important yeah, <laughs> in absolutely. a sense. Uh, and, and let me address that also in, in the light of your observations about the different generations because sure. that really has been one of the significant challenges yeah. for us in planning a church, especially yeah. in the Anglican tradition where there's very well-established assumptions mm. about what you're going to look like and what you're going to do sure. if you're an Anglican church. Mm-hmm. And so some of the folks in the area who come from that tradition and maybe are seasoned saints and they're in their you know, eighth, ninth uh, decade, mm-hmm. they come in and they're expecting um, something that's in continuity with the way they've worshipped for the past 70 years. Sure. And so um, as we are designing a service, we really are sometimes stretched beyond our limits to try to, to be faithful to the tradition we've, been, we've inherited mm-hmm. and to be fair to those saints who have developed both a particular style of worship and sure. a, Mm-hmm. And a particular theological integrity mm-hmm. um, and holding firm and being faithful to that mm-hmm. while at the same time looking out at our at our world that is uh, living mm-hmm. apart from Christ and is is not going to make their way to Christ unless the church is willing to go get them mm-hmm. and to get outside the walls of our church and to engage them in yeah. language in ways that really attract them and yeah. and that's just I mean that's just stretched us to the limits mm-hmm. and <laughs> And yeah. it, 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 it's just confusing and difficult sometimes. Well, the, and, and Cameron is 150% right, right? Uh, another one of the challenges that, um, well, maybe 200%. <laughs> oh, good. Upgrade. Okay. So, yeah, another, I think another one of the challenges is that um, if you were to go to an Episcopal or an Anglican church, sure. um, it's very likely that you wouldn't see someone like me there. Hmm. Um, it's uh, um, it's it speaks um, volumes um, um, of a church that it, that has the like, a kind of a breadth of diversity. But if there's no diversity there, um, and you're trying to reach people um, in a way that um, that um, values their culture mm-hmm. or their background or their experiences. Hmm. Um, there are things that you um, that you are going to need to reflect on, and there are things, and we've we've reflected to the heavens um, mm-hmm. on a lot of different things as it relates to what does it mean um, that we have African Americans and Latinos and Asian Americans in our congregation mm-hmm. um, in an Anglican context? Um, uh, how how does that work? How do we value those uh, those those differences and those um, beautiful things. Um, that's hard work, and we. I, I can't give you. A, I can't give you an answer for that. But I will say, um, it's about the journey of of buckling down and, and affirming or saying that we're going to. Uh, this is our mission, and this is our vision. This is where God is calling us to into this multicultural Anglicanism. Wh- whatever that looks like, hmm. um, we're going to be open to to God's Spirit leading us and guiding us. 
um, um, but but being cognizant of that um, has been has been um, a very significant um, challenge, but a worthy one. I think. Well, that brings up a really good point as well, in, in the fact that um, sometimes we forget because we we look through the lens of Western Christianity yeah. and and Western theology mm-hmm. that theology. And, and how we read scripture and how we interpret scripture mm-hmm. is very different mm-hmm. um, depending on where you come from. Mm-hmm. Um, not only just regionally here, but internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Bible commentaries out there that are written by African scholars or, um, or Middle Eastern scholars mm-hmm. um, read very differently in interpreting passages than, than yeah. Western mm-hmm. um, commentaries. And even so much as to in the United States alone, um, the way that church is done on the East Coast and the way theology is done on the East Coast can be very different than what theology on the West Coast can be or, or church culture can be on the West Coast. So what do you guys kind of see currently um, as far as uh, church trends and cultural trends within the church as far as um, specifically talk about Southern California? Okay, mm-hmm. the Southern California church culture and, and the theology that stems out of those churches. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you see that are both good and um, dangerous mm-hmm. um, as far as what you encounter on a daily basis with, with having a church in the Southern California region? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we find in Southern California is it's a very action-oriented society. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of time to sit back and to reflect and even to sure. talk well about theology. What What's mm-hmm. more valued is getting out in the sun mm-hmm. and getting things done. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> hey, that, that just can't be right now. Let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what you have is you have uh, a church that wants to get out and they want to be involved in your service projects and they want to go out into the community in today's world and for the news media to pick them up and for to gain some reputation and respect in our cities that we've lost. And I think those can all be good things. But, but one of the things that um, coming from our tradition and our values, we see that, that that type of action devoid of deep theological reflection and holding to creedal Christianity, the core of the faith, mm-hmm. is that's been done before. And it's it's been done before and it's left the gospel behind. Mm-hmm. And you can look even in the last 100 to 200 years in America where there's been movements that got busy doing social action and mm-hmm. lo and behold, 20, 30 years down the road, they yep. they weren't Orthodox Christians anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, so your tendency in Southern California is going to be towards being action-oriented. Um, <laughs> I've heard it said in, in Southern California, your your image is very important, right? And so uh, I've heard it said and on the West Coast, um, we don't know what you have to share with us until we think you're cool. <laughs> on the East Coast, we don't care what you have to say to us until we think you're smart. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's there's some of that going on. Yeah. And in Southern California, we've we've chosen to be a part of a tradition with Anglicanism that, um, you know, to some onlookers, it, this is not new. It's sure. not, it's not cool. If anything, it's, it's moving backwards to mm. something older mm. and, and more established. And, uh, so for some, that's going to be attractive for others. That's going to be a barrier. The, the challenges of, um, obviously cross-cultural ministry as well in Southern California is a, is a huge, uh, deal, um, where I come from on the East Coast in coming from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we have Caucasian and African American. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about 50-50, that's what you encounter on a daily basis mm-hmm. where, where, where I live or from. Um, there's almost zero Hispanic population and almost zero Asian population. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Southern California, you're encountering a lot of issues and a lot of cultures that sometimes um, are, are definitely hot-button issues in today's world with immigration and, and, and things like that, as well as language barriers as well, and, and understanding each other's cultures and kind of meshing together within one yeah. congregation. Yeah. Um, what is it that um, 
I guess the challenges that you guys encounter on a regular basis with that, with the culture clash within the church, and what recommendations would you give to those listening as to how to overcome those things and and mm. minister together and, and worship together? Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess uh, I would say the number one thing that we've uh, that's that's um, worked for us very well is just intentionality. Mm. Um, I think um, you, in order to have cross cultural relationships with other people, you have to be very intentional, mm. um, uh, and you have to keep at it um, because your immediate kind of um, first. Um, introductions might be a little rocky Mm. um might they might not be but but the more you get to know people the more you understand that you guys are we're we're pretty much we're we're alike Mm. um in more ways than than we think um and so i think intentionality is is um the one of the main things uh we've had some challenges with uh with um with uh, some of the different um, culture clashes, so to speak. Um, but so long as we always get back to maybe the heart of God, what we're trying to uh, communicate, we are the body of Christ. Um, we are, are called to, to break down the walls of partition that have separated us for so long. we got to move forward. How do we move forward in ways that... Um, that um, are honoring, that give dignity to other people, and at the same time um, allow us um, to really wrestle with the fact that we're sinners, and we uh, and and we're going to we're going to find ourselves in um we're oh, yeah we're sinners we're sinners. <laughs> no, we're sinners um, um, and sometimes um, sometimes we're we're prejudiced sometimes we're we're racist sometimes we. Um, we like people that look like us. We like people that act like us. Mm. Um, and to be, to be mindful of that or even call those things um, uh, out mm. um, lovingly, mm. um, you know, with, with all grace and humility, uh, but at the same time um, encouraging people to really reflect um, on, on mm. you know, kind of where, they, where they are. So... Along those lines, quickly, um, I have two two follow up questions to to what you just said. Yeah. The younger generations, do you see them better understanding those differences and and yeah. and mm-hmm. living and working and and playing together? Yeah. Differently than past generations, or do you think that there is um, still learning and education to be done between crossing over those boundaries? Um, are most definitely. I mean, I think there's still still things that that need to be um, need to be learned um, because we're always trying. If we if we take the position as student um, to anyone that stands in front of us, we're always trying to learn hmm. how best to um, to to live with and to to befriend and be um, be better um, um, for that person. Uh, I think the the uh, the younger generation is. Um, they're further away from issues of civil rights or mm-hmm. issues of, uh, of Jim Crow or issues mm-hmm. uh, that have been prevalent in our country 50, 60, 70 years ago. And I think there is a, there is a gradual kind of um, understanding of, of one another. Um, I, I would be remiss to say uh, we, need to keep, uh, we need to keep this on the table because we are... Um, we are different, mm. um, but we're, um, but, um, and we go through different things. We have different struggles, um, and so I don't want to. I don't want to sweep away sure. um, issues of race or issues of of ethnicity or socioeconomic differences just because we we passed a law mm. fifty years ago. So the um, with what you guys are doing at St. Paul's. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles that people have is sometimes 
fear of entering into the conversation yeah. about differences between cultures and mm. and socioeconomic status. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, denominational differences yeah. of um, you know healthy conversation. If uh, um, I think you know uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, Cameron and I. Uh, jokingly said that we were going to have a um, a friendly discussion over infant baptism when we were talking <laughs> about the baptisms. But uh, be, having the fear of talking about those things yeah. sometimes is what holds people back from mm. being able to learn. And yeah. to um, so, yeah. my question to you guys is: yeah. Is that the church's responsibility, mm. the individual's responsibility, or society's responsibility to bring these issues up to the forefront. Obviously, um, Mm. sometimes we're afraid to have debates Mm. or have discussions about certain issues. Whose responsibility in your eyes is that? And, Mm. and, and who, who is it that needs to start leading the charge with these discussions, Mm. not just racially or, or economically, but also theologically? Sure. Um, who, is it something that, you know, you guys deal with on a regular basis and and where do you see responsibility falling on those things? Yeah. You know, if we try to avoid things that need to be talked about, Mm -hmm. they have a way of finding us out. (laughs) Sure. And that's happening in our nation right now. Right. There's a big portion of our, our nation that would like to say race is no longer an issue, but then after they eat dinner, they turn on the same news channel that the rest of us do and the issues being pushed on us. Not so much by society, but by the systems that mm-hmm. are still ongoing in our society mm-hmm. that do not fully reflect the justice of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so these, these issues are coming up. And then so that gives us the choice individually. Am I going to engage this thoughtfully mm-hmm. and with mm-hmm. a diverse people so I can hear God's heart on it? Yeah. Or am I just going to insulate myself with mm-hmm. you know, my, my worldview? And then also as the church, we, we can't lag 30 years behind on the discussion like so often we do. Mm-hmm. We have to, with God's help, be trying to create communities and environments that are loving and safe enough mm. where we can talk about these things. And, and you know, we're, <laughs> that's hard. You know, we're, we're wrestling with, well, how do we create these types of spaces? And, We've tried events. We've done, you know, like a reconciliation service where different people share some of their stories. But I think even more than that, we're seeking just to create a culture where people are making friends Mm -hmm. across some of these barriers. They're starting to spend some time with each other. Mm -hmm. And in the context of loving relationships, you're able to start to discover these things. That's that's where real growth is going to happen. Well, we had, and to Cameron's point, it's the um, we have small groups in our, our church sure. so um, so in those small groups um, what you start seeing is that is that people who wouldn't otherwise get together are now getting together um, and they're going out for lunch or all the ladies are now out at a luncheon and there are people from different backgrounds or different experiences different cultural ethnic theological backgrounds um, it's it's getting to the table, um, and I and I think at least for St. Paul's, what we've tried to do is create spaces where people can get to the table, ah. um, so that we can um, so that there can be healthy engagement, um, there can be um, you know prayerfully some revelation. Hey, wow, I actually like her, and she's <laughs> she's she's kind she's kind of nice, you know. So. Um, so yeah, creating those spaces, I think, um, at the same time, I don't, um, the Anglican tradition has, has, um, has a very healthy engagement with the world or with politics or, Hmm. um, just historically that's just where they've been. And so that's been, that's been very healthy as we've, um, as we've been, um, people who've who've done reconciliation services and people from other churches have come and said wow this is we've never we never even thought about doing something like this it's crazy I, sure you know, um it's it's saying um this can be done um we're going to keep pushing and pressing the issue 
um, albeit lovingly, what have you, we're going to keep doing it, and prayerfully, we'll see, we'll see what God does. Yeah, I think I think that there's a, definitely some denominations out there and some movements within Christianity who are really at the forefront of these conversations. And one of the things that we really didn't uh, talk about a whole lot, but is still in, involved in the same uh, realm, is the fact that socioeconomic divides. I mean, we have a very big divide in the church as well about, um, you know, um, your average probably person that you would think of in this country specifically that when you say the word Christian would be, you know, white middle-aged males, you know, as as opposed to um, different ethnicities or socioeconomic and that's one of the things that you guys have a passion for as well mm-hmm. is 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 the poor and the homeless um, you do some ministries as a church for the in reaching out to those in that part of society which a lot of uh, denominations really have woken up to that fact and and have started to implement programs and churches the Mennonites are big on that um, the the brethren in Christ um, and, and the Anglican Church, you know, the Catholic Church has always been huge on, on mm-hmm. um, their, their ministry to the homeless. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's a huge thing that obviously uh, is one of the key components to Jesus's message, mm-hmm. <laughs> which oftentimes is ironic that a lot of churches ignore that part and, mm-hmm. and concentrate more on big wreck buildings and big you know, uh, sanctuaries as opposed to reaching out to those who are less fortunate. Um, share a little bit about your passion for that and where you guys see um, the future of St. Paul's. And, and on the same lines, if you would just kind of talk about, maybe sum up a little bit about the mission of what St. Paul's City Church is about mm-hmm. and, and where you guys are going for the future. Mm. Yeah. For me, my passion for the poor and the homeless came from spending a lot of time with the Bible. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't get away from sure. verse after verse after verse where God just seems to have a soft spot mm-hmm. for people that are down on their luck. Mm-hmm. And the more time I spent with God's Word, the more that developed in me. And eventually I read a convicting book uh, by Shane Claiborne that said, we're called to love the poor. He says, but we need to get honest with the fact that we don't even know the poor. Mm-hmm. We've moved out of their neighborhoods. Uh, we've distanced ourselves as much as possible. And and the Lord used some of those truths for my wife and I as part of a calling to, to move into a lower income neighborhood. And so now some of the folks that are those people who are living off of government aid and they're taking all the food stamps and they're those are my neighbors, mm. you know, that you're mm. talking about. Mm. Uh, those are my friends. They have yeah. names. They have families. Mm. Uh, they have joys and tears just like everyone else. Mm. And so part of um, the calling that God had on me and my family's life was to be a bridge between mm. the haves and the have-nots. And as F- Father Jamal and I have planted a church together... Some of that vision and passion has been carried into our church plant as well. Mm-hmm. That we're seeking to be a bridge for people who have stable families and stable jobs. That we're having contact with folks who are, you know, down their luck or homeless or have mm-hmm. nothing. And mm-hmm. and one of the things about us being in downtown Elsinore and then also my family living down here is is we have a chance to follow up with those folks. We see mm-hmm. them midweek and mm-hmm. we get to follow up and see if the assistance we gave them actually did something and if there's relationships being developed mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ignore that as a theme of the Bible and a theme yeah. of Jesus' message. Yeah. And getting involved in doing those things is, is very important. And I think you guys are are doing wonderful work and, and I know that there's um, blessings to come to the ministry that you guys are doing and uh, it, it's definitely obvious that God is involved in, in, in shaping what your future will be thanks so. brother I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did those guys have some huge hearts for people and a huge heart for ministry and are doing some terrific work in the city of Lake Elsinore with St. Paul City Church. I want to thank uh, Thaddeus Brown, our producer, for all his hard work behind the scenes, as well as our sponsor, which is St. Paul City Church in Lake Elsinore, California. Uh, They meet Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., 
you are in the area or live in the area, please come check it out and fellowship with us. And I hope that you continue to tune in to our future episodes. And please give us your feedback. Uh, Check us out on Facebook and as well as you can email us at kingdommosaicpodcast at gmail.com. We will be posting future guests uh, up on our Facebook page. Then you can submit user-submitted questions that we can ask future guests on certain topics. And we always appreciate your feedback on the podcast. And thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.